This event was recorded at the 2018 Edinburgh International Book Festival. Great woman of Scotland, Gerda Stevenson. I'm Jackie McGlone, a journalist, and it's my pleasure to introduce Gerda to you this evening. Welcome, Gerda. Thank you. Gerda Stevenson is truly a woman of many parts. An award-winning poet, playwright, actor, director, singer, songwriter. She was born and grew up in the borders and trained at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art in London. She's worked extensively in theatre and she played, she's played a radiant Desdemona, an unforgettable Lady M, I won't say the full name in case we tempt fate, and a gorgeously passionate Phaedra in Edwin Morgan's translation of Racine. She will, of course, be forever associated in our memories with um, Mel Gibson's Braveheart movie. And um, Gerda has also worked in opera, television and radio. She is the glamorous voice of Steve in the BBC's Paul Temple Mysteries. Sadly, we do not see enough of Gerda in Scottish theatres. However, the theatre's loss is certainly literature's gain. She's read her acclaimed poetry at many international festivals, and her writing is studied in the, uh, on the Contemporary Scottish Literature course at Glasgow University. And her first poetry collection, If This Were Real, uh, came out in 2013 and has since been translated into Italian. Her terrific stage play, Murray vs. Federer, toured from the Edinburgh International Fringe Festival to New York, where it received rave reviews. She's written many plays for the BBC and has received a Scottish BAFTA for Best Film Actress. And she's also been nominated three times in the Scottish Critics Theatre Awards. Additionally, she's been nominated for Scott Singer of the Year and released an album of her own songs, Night Touches Day. And she is one of the Saltire Society's Outstanding Women of Scotland. She's with us today, though, to talk about her second poetry collection, Quines, Poems in Tribute to the Women of Scotland, which has been praised by Baroness Helena Kennedy, one of the first people to read the collection, fellow poet Ron Butlin, and the blessed Richard Holloway, who says reading it bites the heart. So we're going to talk about Quines, from which Gerda will be reading, and we shall want your questions too, of course. Gerda will sign copies of her books after the event. Meanwhile, please turn off all mobile phones. And if you wish to tweet about the event, please do so when the lights go back up for questions. And um, if I could make a special plea not to leave before the end of the event, um, however pressing your engagement. Ladies and gentlemen, Scotland's national treasure, Gerda Stevenson. Thank you. Gerda, shall we begin with a definition of quines? I would imagine there are very few people in this room who do not know uh, the, what the word means, but tell us, it sounds so like queens. It does. Um, a quine is, is a lass, uh, a woman, and for me, because of its kind of um, association with the word queen, it has a kind of aristocracy of the spirit. Um, any woman can be a quine, whether you're a queen or a, a salt seller or a fish gutter, as there are such women in this book. <laughs> and it kind of has a ring to it. And, and tell us how it came about. What, what, I know you'd been thinking about writing about some women, but um, there was a special moment when... 
that really the seed was planted for this, wasn't it? There was indeed. I was filming in Shetland, that, the series, that detective series, and we had a day off uh, for, um, uh, well, it was raining. So, uh, <laughs> so I, I thought, I want to get out to the Broch of Musa, which is, I don't know if you all know what brochs are, these ancient uh, 2000 BC up to the first century um, AD. They look like sort of cooling towers almost, uh, unique to Scotland. I love ancient monuments and going to places and imagining life there. Um, I could see it from the road as we were driven to the, 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 the film location, um, but it's on an island just off the mainland. And um, it was the wrong time of year, so um, they, I couldn't find... I went to a fishing tackle shop in Lerwick and said, could you take me? And they said, no, 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 it's too stormy, can't take you. The thing about the Broch of Musa is that it's intact virtually because the farmers can't get there to take the stone and build their dikes, which is what has happened to other... Um, so I went into the Shetland Museum and I was mesmerized by a young woman I saw there, the reconstructed head of a young woman from Neolithic times. And she just looked so now, so contemporary. And she, she looked as though she could be my daughter. And it said uh, that from radiocarbon dating that they could tell she, was, um, she died between the ages of 17 and 27. And her skull was lying next to her. And by the time I was going home, I was, I'd, I'd written a poem, which um, I could read you. It's, yes, the, it's the opening uh, poem for the collection. It's a prologue. Um, the only two poems in the collection that are in my voice are the prologue and the epilogue. Uh, the rest are all in the voices of um, these extraordinary women of Scotland, um, or in the voice of a woman who knew the woman in question, or in the voice of her creation or an object. Um, related to her, but in this case it's my voice. The reconstructed head of a young woman, Shetland Museum. I press my brow to cold glass, two women head to head. Your face tilts like a ship's prow, challenging the wind. Morning sky over the North Sea and your salt-washed cheeks and eager blue-green eyes. Your hair falls like mine from a centre parting, though holds no trace of grey in its peat-brown sweep. Five thousand years between us, and yet, not a moment, it seems, recognition like that spark you'd know how to strike from stone. Thought tugs at your mouth's harbour, a half-smile about to slip its mooring into laughter. Your skull lies beside you, mute echo, shell-white in spotlit stillness, every curve and crevice mapped by expert minds. Your mask, their exquisite calculation, more real to me than any excavated bone. Did you sleep, wake, love and weep in the dark air of honeycomb chambers built by shores i've only glimpsed from plane and car my stay too short and anyway my timing out of season i want to know you unknown woman walk with you the cliffs at silwick tread the paths of scalloway hear your language beat the air again with skua scart and arctic turn learn your life those days that stretched behind your step 
and though you couldn't guess their end would come too soon, gave you such a fearless gaze of hope. Thank you, Gerda. Uh, you, talk, you, you speak about finding the voices. It, what was the next step with this? I know you'd been thinking a lot about a certain woman called Fanny Wright. I had indeed. Who was born in Dundee. That's We've right. talked about her for years, yeah. haven't we? <laughs> we have. <laughs> many, many wonderful women from Dundee in this book, by the way. Um, Fanny Wright, um, I discovered her when I went to New Lanark. I'm very interested in Robert Owen and utopian thinking, which often gets kind of trashed as something kind of a waste of time. And But I think we need utopian thinking to even begin to get where we want to get. It's a great aspirational kind of um, motivating factor, I think, uh, can be. And Fanny Wright was certainly a utopian thinker. Um, I, I was encouraged by Lorna Davidson, who was the uh, then director of the New Lanark Trust, to read a book by Barbara Taylor called um, Eve and the New Jerusalem about the Owenite women, women. And it was absolutely fascinating. And among those women in that book was Fanny Wright. She was, uh, she was an atheist. She believed that uh, marriage was a form of female uh, slavery. She, this is born 1795, so very <laughs> advanced in her thinking in relation to marriage. And um, uh, she, she w wrote a play that was on Broadway. She was a great essayist. She wrote books. She uh, used to speak to audiences of uh, 2,000, and then she would be chucked out by the uh, state forces in America. Um, and she would continue on the street. Um, she's a tragic figure in many ways. Um, but uh, she just grabbed my imagination. So many of the women in this book, nearly all of them, and I hadn't bargained for this, are um, religious. But Fanny, she, she swam against the tide. And Walt Whitman, the great um, uh, father, really, of uh, free verse, you could say, in the English language, he heard her speak when he was a young man. And he wrote of her, she was a brilliant woman of beauty and estate, who was never satisfied unless she was busy doing good, public good, private good. We all loved her, fell down before her. Her very appearance seemed to enthrall us. The noblest Roman of them all, a woman of the noblest makeup, whose orbit was a great deal larger than theirs, too large to be tolerated for long by them, a most maligned, lied about character, one of the best in history, although also one of the least understood. And so when I was researching, I, I, I thought at this point, looking at Fanny Wright, could I maybe write a book that included this Shetland woman, uh, unknown woman from you know thousands of years ago, and Fanny Wright? And maybe I could do a book about Scottish women. And that's kind of how it came to, to, to be. And, and you have an, an enormous um, cross-section of society in the book. Um, I mean, they're amazing, these women. You've mentioned the, the fish gutter, and there's a salt cellar, there's singers, um, queens, politicians, a marine engineer, artists, a ballerina, a botanist, <laughs> and Arctic explorer, and sportswomen, because there are 57 women in this book, but actually there are 68. <laughs> because it's a whole football team. <laughs> the first international, recorded international women's 
football match happened um, in 1881, I think it was, um, and it was uh, Scotland versus England, the women uh, wearing the um, clothes of the rational dress movement, which were kind of knickerbockers and, and a red sash and these boots. And it was Scotland versus I England at, Hib at, at um, the Hibs, um, uh, um, you know, Hib uh, Easter Road, Hibernian, which is great for me because I'm a Hibs supporter. And it was 3-0 to Scotland. <laughs> and that is true. <laughs> but how did you find the women, Gerda? You, you had you had your 5,000-year-old yes, young woman indeed, and, yes. and Fanny. Um, but well, what I started was the research pro were there women you wanted to put in there, but whose voices you could not find? There were women, and a research was hugely important because you can't write about what you don't know about. You have to write about what you know. Therefore, you've got to do the research. The, the Biographical Dictionary of Scottish Women is a fantastic resource, and I use that a lot. It's going into a second edition to be published this autumn, and it's a book that everybody should have on their shelves. It's fascinating. And um, so I use that a lot. I um, ordered books um, that many of which, the majority of which, were out of print. I did quite a lot of research um, on the internet, but I mean, you have to be wary of that because you know mm. you've got to check your sources, as you know as a journalist, Jackie. Um, so th there was a, there was a lot of search. I also talked to people and asked people if they'd heard of people. I read newspaper um, uh, articles. So yeah, it was four years of research, really, um, quite a long time. And could you have gone on with that research? I could, I could. Because you I'm get so excited when you talk <laughs> about it. I do, I get so excited. I want to tell you about every single one of these women and read you all the poems. Because it, it feels like their book, it doesn't, like my first uh, uh, book, that, that is more autobiographical. Mm. It's, it's more about me. This is, is about them. It's their book. Um, you know, so, uh, yes, I had to stop. I mean, I... I, I thought I would do 50, and then I just, then I, I you see, I, I, at a certain stage, I realized maybe this has got to be arranged in um, a, a kind of historical sequence. Initially, I thought it might be thematic in terms of professions or, you know, whatever. But then I, um, I thought maybe it'll, it'll, it would be best just to make it hist historical, sort of sweep through history. And, um, and, yeah, and at that point I thought, well, maybe I need a Viking, um, maybe I need a Jacobite, <laughs> maybe a Covenanter. But so, so I then started to research in those directions. You know, um, maybe I should read you another. Um, the uh, there's, I mean, there are queens. This is the point at which I think I want to read you them all because well, I love them all so much. Gerda, um, <laughs> you did say that you wouldn't, you'd, you'd, you'd thought you would leave out Mary Queen of Scots, but you didn't. I didn't find, would you like Mary Queen of Scots? Would I you would, like her? All right, please, okay, I'll do that. I'd okay. like you to tell the story yes. about it's, why you chose to put her in yes. there. Yes, I wasn't going to do, I was going to do neglected women, but then I thought at a certain point it might be quite a good idea to have some anchors of more well-known women and then, and see how they look, you know, along, and then you would get a cross-section of society. Um, with her, I'd seen this amazing painting in the Hunterian, which is by Gavin Hamilton, uh, commissioned by James Boswell, and it's called The Abdication of Mary, Queen of Scots. And when I saw this painting, I thought, something terrible has happened to her, and it's not the abdication, because it's much bigger than that. And I didn't know what it was. She looked blitzed. So I looked into it, and I discovered that, that on the two days before she abdicated, she had given birth 
uh, to stillborn twins. And this is something I didn't know about Mary, Queen of Scots. And I actually lost my first child when she was a baby, 10 days old. So it was something instantly that I kind of related to. And it's the, the painting. I urge you to go and look for it. You can find it online, The Abdication of Mary, Queen of Scots. It's a brilliant painting. It's like a play. You've got all these characters. There's a, there's a man who's obviously some kind of legal scribe. There's another man. She's surrounded by all these men, and they're... One's pulling at her. There's a guard, and there's looking through the window. There's, and she's she's at Loch, um, Leven Castle, and there's clearly um, one of her four Marys, uh, Mary Seaton, clutching her arm, crying. So this is the poem, the abdication of Mary Queen of Scots. I'm going to stand. Is that all right? Tak macroon and dinafash. O yon was our for me, lang syne. You needna glom at my silk goon wi your coarse neave. I'm nae freet. I'll sign your muckle scroll, day what I'm on, past carin' new. The last three days, my flesh and soul, he wandered shores o' hellfire, dool and death. Twa bairns I cradled in my wame all through the months. Say douce o' spring and simmer, slip it cold and steve into the dowy air o' leavens grey stain was. Clocht from my jizzin and bury it out by wi' nae prayer for all I ken and nae sang. Twa scraps o' heaven, all my hope in their twin licht Smoor it new, though milk's eye bucking through my breasts under my lace and stays. And I couldn't give a fig for your footer and laws, sat there, screaming your Latin clatters, o' oh, queens and kings. Oh, I could run rings round Elka Yenia in Greek and all, as wheels my bonny French. But your Nathan, Nathan knew. Just guests. And oh, Mary, Mary Seaton, last o' my fower, leal ladies, dinna waste your tears on gien up a bitty gowd and glister. Hod my earm if it helps, but dinna, dinna greet for this. Some of the poems are in English, some are in Scots. And um, wh wh how did you find that voice that you knew you wanted to? Well, it's interesting. I was thinking of Scotland's. I mean, there were so many criteria in relation to writing this book, and I thought, well, we have three languages in Scotland. Mm. You know, native languages: Gaelic, Scots, and English. And I must somehow address those. Um, when it came to the the well, Mary Queen of Scots, she just. I just felt it in Scots. I often just write the way the voice feels. It just seems to come out. In relation to Gaelic, although I'm married to a Gael, um, I'm not a Gaelic speaker. I, I can understand Gaelic and I can speak a bit. Um, so what I did was, um, with the Gaelic, work on the syntax, change the English to a slightly Gaelic syntax and throw in the occasional Gaelic um, word. Mm. Um, may maybe I should read you one, yes, of, one of those. Mm. Um, Margaret Fay Shaw. Um, it's, 
I love this sort of uh, not knowing quite what I'm going to read and then deciding you know, on this one. I love the kind of improvisational uh, thing of a conversation, Jackie. So um, Margaret Fay Shaw is a fascinating woman from America. This is another theme in the book, immigration mm -hmm. as well as emigration. For me, Scots are who are here, who are contributing. And um, Margaret Fay Shaw was an amazing woman. She, she was born in Pennsylvania, USA, 1903. She died in the Isle of Canna, 2004. She was a folklorist, musician, and collector of the folklore and folk songs of South Uist, which was published in 1955. It's a significant book in its field. Um, I've held that book. I have it. My father, a composer pianist who had met Margaret Fay Shaw, gave me a copy of that beautiful first edition. Um, very, very important book in, um, in its field. She learned Gaelic fluently. She lived for almost five years with two native speakers, Crofting sisters, Mary Aundra and Peggy McRae in South Uist. She lived for five years. And um, I thought in the voice in this case, having read Margaret Fayshaw's book From the Alleghenies to the Hebrides, which is an autobiography, um, fascinating. She was very... A modest kind of woman and I felt she probably wouldn't speak for herself necessarily in this way that I kind of wanted her to and then having read the book and um, I thought I know who could speak for her it would be Mariandra one of the two women that she um, she lived with those summers and uh, uh, for, for five summers and um, uh, like so many Gales she was not literate in the language Mariandra because um, the language was not um, had had been prov uh, banned since the since 1745, um, and uh, it was not taught in schools. Uh, my own son is um, literate and fluent in Gaelic. He's been brought up through Gaelic medium education, so it's something I feel very strongly about. Um, but when they held this book in their hands, it was um, Mariandra said because a critic said to had written of Margaret Fay Shaw at the time that the book was too full of kelpies. <laughs> and she was very upset by this. And Mariandra said, there is not one word wrong in the four corners of that book. <laughs> and I thought, what a wonderful thing to say, the four corners of that. And that gave me the poem. So this is Mariandra gives thanks to Margaret Fay Shaw. She blew in like a wind with a dance in it, a load on her back. An Irish harp from New York and a box with an eye, a graflex, she called it, that stretched its neck at you from folds, black and heavy as a scarab. She learned our land, the sea, the sky, our names for different clouds, how to cut seaweed with a coran, to turn a plock of peat with a spade, the time of year for every chore, and she listened to our words that we'd lost the writing and the reading of, the patience of her to learn our tongue, wrote down our tales and prayers, the one I gave her for the smooring of the fire when Mary and her son and a white angel will watch all night at the door. She took our songs to her ear and made them skip from her fingers in lines along the page, the sound of our days she placed there with all her care, the look of us too caught in that eye for ourselves and the world to see. 
And when she came with those pages made into a book, not one word wrong in the four corners of it, a golden ship sailing on that blue cover, bright as a summer sea, we cried to hold our lives in our hands. Uh, you referred there to uh, immigration, emigration, Gerda. Uh, would you like to read uh, Demerara? I would, I would. I thought uh, you were going to ask me about Demerara. Yes. Demerara, Demerara. Demerara. I say Demerara. Yeah. Um, so um, I read about uh, this in an article in the Inverness Courier, and I was fascinated by this. and. Um, there was an influx of uh, half-caste, whatever you want to call them, um, people who came from Der Demerara and Eskibo from sugar plantations to Scotland to um, Fortrose, Tain, Inverness in the early 1800s because there were slave owners out there who owned sugar plantations. One of them was Hugh Junor. And I was... You know, when I think about this, I mean, I wrote this before the, the, the Windrush scandal came to, um, to prominence, which is just a, an absolute shocking piece of um, discrimination in this hostile environment policy. Uh, the racism involved in that when these people were invited, people, you know, who had, whose history is slavery, were invited to come and rebuild the British um, Empire after the Second World War. And, um, you know... So there's a whole history, and I feel that slavery is a very big part of uh, Scotland's story, as well as, you know, the British, um, uh, 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 England, all of us. It's, we're all um, implicated. So Eliza Junor, she was born in Demerara in 1804. She died in Fortrose in 1861. She was the daughter of Hugh Junor, a slave owner from the Black Isle, and an unknown mother, probably a slave, possibly a free-coloured woman. She won a prize, Eliza did, for penmanship at Fortrose Academy when she was about 12. Demerara. I've learned my letters well. My copper plate masts and sails flow across the page like the ship that carried us here, my brother and me. To our father's land, the black isle of white people, where I'm glad no cane grows. My mother always said I had a way with words. Demerara, river of the letterwood, its banks of trees with bark like hieroglyphics, a whisper in my ear from birth. Demerara, Demerara. I wish she'd lived to see my prize for penmanship, that I could tell her we are well and freed, that we don't heed the taunts of half-breed, octoroon, mulatto, quadroon. The dominie's wife says, Tawny told me she'd seen some in Cromarty too, had heard rumours that were, there were others come to Inverness and Tain, 
And saving present company, wasn't it a shame that Scotsmen didn't refrain from relations with slaves? She was pouring tea and her spine stiffened in her corset when I declined the sugar. But it's demerara, she crooned. It'll make you feel at home. And spooned it into my cup. I watched the gold beads, hybrid jewels, my father calls them, melt in the peat-brown pool. Gerda, you, you've written that um, these are not just women who were written out of history, they were never written into history. Would you like to talk a bit about that triptych of three women, Crystal Macmillan, the Duchess of Athol, and Jane Haining? Yes. yes. And perhaps read a couple Absolutely. of the poems you've written about these extraordinary women. Crystal Macmillan... Um, there's the Crystal Macmillan building at Edinburgh University. Um, she was a barrister. She was known as the Scottish Portia. And these three women who I see, um, um, just myself in my head, as a kind of triptych in the middle of the book, there's a kind of Cassandra element to these, to two of them, and then the kind of result in Jane Haining, if you like. Well, the result in the second one, who is Catherine Stuart Murray, um, Catherine Stuart Murray was the first uh, woman MP, Scottish woman MP at Westminster of the Scottish and Unionist Party. Fascinating figure. Um, and um, Crystal Macmillan was, um, she was one of the, uh, I write, I have an introduction to the book. Uh, and in the in introduction, I talk about her, the barrister, sorry, barrister and pacifist, Crystal Macmillan. She was one of the organizers of the International Committee of Women for Permanent Peace, the ICWPP, part of the International Congress of Women. They had planned to meet in Paris at the same time as the official peace conference was being convened in Versailles in 1919. But women delegates from the central powers, that's the enemy, enemy powers, were not permitted to travel in France. Now, the ICWPP was a, a group of all the countries. You know, it was a true peace kind of movement. Um, uh, and they arrived um, in France just as the, the, the treaty, they arrived, but they had to move on to, to Zurich because the women of the uh, central powers weren't allowed to meet there. Um, just as the Treaty of Versailles was published, they were so shocked by the terms of the treaty, that the women drew up a resolution and sent a telegram to members of the peace conference in Paris. And, and this, these are the words of this extraordinary telegram. This is in 1919. The International Congress of Women expresses its deep regret that the terms of peace proposed at Versailles should so seriously violate the principles upon which alone a just and lasting peace can be secured, and which the democracies of the world had come to ex accept by guaranteeing the fruits of the secret treaties to the conquerors. The terms of peace tacitly sanction secret diplomacy, 
deny the principles of self-determination, recognize the rights of the victors to spoils of war and create all over Europe discords and animosities which can only lead to future wars. That is the telegram they sent in 1919. And I mean, it is absolutely shocking that they were completely excluded from that process and were not listened to. And um, I was fascinated that um, she, um, that Crystal um, was known as the Scottish Portia. She was apparently an absolutely wonderful <coughs> speaker. Um, I've never, sadly, played the part of Portia. <laughs> oh, um, well, you should have been cast as Portia. I would have loved yeah. to have played the part. Um, but Maybe time yet. But I can read the Crystal Macmillan poem that I've written for her, and it's, um, it's, it's. I was thinking when I wrote this poem of the, um, the, the quality of mercy is not strained; it droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath it is twice blessed, etc. Um, a little, a little footnote is that um, the Lords, House of Lords at that time, defined the word person as male. Justice, persons, and peace. The meaning of justice is our refrain. If half of humankind is erased from its scales, the word can hold no weight. Its essence ever bears a twofold freight. Those who make our loaded laws say only persons can participate in shaping the governance of state. By common concord, the lords maintain a person is de facto male. Thus, they relegate half the value of yet another word to the same obliterated fate. And what of the single syllable, peace, that renders those who make it blessed, so strong yet misconstrued as weak, violated at Versailles by vengeful victors who deny its power to release the world from future war, the one word women called for in Congress at The Hague, that syllable whose meaning must not drop, so slow it won't be felt or sought. Hear this, in the name and face of justice, we are persons, half the human race, and will advance our urgent plea for peace. We will persist. So the other one is um, Catherine Stuart Murray, the Duchess of Athol, known as the Red Duchess. She uh, was one of these women who, um, who, who was a listener. She did listen to people. And uh, some suffragettes and suff former suffragettes and former suffragists asked her to come out to the Spanish Civil War, which she, she reluctantly did. She was so shocked by what she saw there that she arranged for 4,000 child refugees to be brought to the United Kingdom. Um, for which she was dubbed the Red Duchess. She also was fluent in German and was, um, uh, did not approve of the translation into English of Mein Kampf. Uh, she felt that it fudged issues, that it was not accurate, so she commissioned a new translation. Um, and she also um, she's, um, 
decided to stand down. She was so against uh, the appeasement of Hitler and was not supported by Winston Churchill at the time. This is 1938. Um, it's interesting because when you see the film Darkest Hour, uh, you would think that Churchill had won the whole war in the first two weeks of it all on his own. Um, and he, he didn't support Catherine Stuart Murray in, against the appeasement of Hitler at that point in 1938. And uh, there was a by-election. She stood as an independent and the uh, Conservatives brought out all the big guns in Perth and Kinross and uh, they, she, she lost the vote by 1,300 100 votes. And she never went back into politics. But my goodness, if there was ever a woman mm. who had something to say that was really important and was not listened to, it was Catherine Stuart Murray. Um, and then there's the result of, of that, of course, we know about is the, the dreadful um, uh, war and the Holocaust. And Jane Haining, the wonderful uh, missionary from Dunsker in Dumfriesshire. Um, and... Uh, uh, I have a poem for her as well in that sort of triptych there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, there are so many stories in this book, Akada. There are plays, there are documentaries to be made about these women, there are films to be made. <laughs> do, 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 you, do you want to go on with it? I mean, there must be some women you've left out that you, you would have liked to include. Well, there, I mean, I'm yes, leading up uh, yes. to will there be queens too? No, <laughs> no, I'm not doing Mamma Mia too. <laughs> That's what it would feel like, I think. And be, I, I mean, I, maybe I could, but I feel I've, I feel I've done it now. I'm a great mm. one for moving on. I've got mm -hmm. ideas. I've, I've got a, a play in mind about one of the women, Isabel Wiley Hutchison, the botanist. I'd love to write a play about her. Um, getting snowed up in a hut with the Estonian Gus Masik. She was deeply religious. He was a, a Bolshevik atheist um, and uh, an absolute gentleman, um, an extraordinary man. So there's a nice story there, and I'd quite like to do something with that. Um, I've written um, eight songs um, based on her poems, uh, which uh, she has a poem at the beginning of every um, chapter of her book, um, North to Rhyme Ringed Sun, which is about an Alaskan journey. Wonderful book, out of print. But the um, poems at the beginning of each chapter, they're not necessarily great poems, but they're fantastic song lyrics. So I've set them to music, and I would like to do a CD of her um, uh, poems. Um, uh, and um, so that might happen. So I've got, yeah, various ideas. I'd love to, is there time for me to read Anna Buchan? Well, I was about to ask you to do that before <laughs> we take questions, actually, because... Uh, Anna Buchan is just wonderful. <laughs> this kind of encapsulates the, the whole idea of the book in a way, this yeah. poem. Um, <clears throat> Anna Buchan, she's, um, she was a geologist and uh, zoologist, a remarkable lady. She was born in Rose Harty, Aberdeenshire, 1897. She died in um, Aberdeen in 1964. She was the, the curator of Marshall College Museum, Aberdeen and Elgin Museum, writer of many scientific articles. And when I was reading up about her, I um, found her obituary. And um, the, this, art, this obituary is what sparked the poem. In this case, I decided um, that it would be in the voice um, of um, somebody I'd invent, who'd be a kind of granny whose daughter has come home from college um, and it's 1964, and she's, she's just learnt about Anna Buchan, and, and she's outraged. So this is the granny having learnt about Anna Buchan from her granddaughter, and it's called Anna Buchan's Obituary. 
Yon woman was something else. I mean, the headline they printed in the paper yestreen when she'd packed her last didn't give us a clue. My granddaughter bringed in for the college. She's a foo at all kind of bionic facts that leave me a hint, particular new my mindin's tint. <laughs> Apparently, says Susie, yon woman can't owe about yird. And what's buried in it? Fossils like the rig bane or fit dunt to a bird. And all kind of gear. Quakes, ashets, bines, filang sign. She hauked you to wheen of them between the railway line and Elgin Road. Mind where the old clay pits yins were warked. My brother's bits are still clarted with own. And there's nothing she didn't ken about lamps, tillies, cruises, like I used to burn Ben. Yen fi reed says Susie fi the Nile, thousands a year sign, fair fan touch and style. In story museums she'd scans and leet elkabit thing, nay mater, whether talker o pauper or king. And she kenned all thing about the mountains o ice afore beasts were born. Could look at a slice o yard and gie its name, date and place on our planet. She wasn't just a pretty face. <laughs> And here's Susie's pint. She's bealing her lass. This is the headline that come to pass. Abin her obituary, the bra woman, bless her. Widow of an Elgin hairdresser. <laughs> and, and that is true. It's absolutely true, every word of that. <laughs> Um, questions, please. We'll bring a microphone to you. Hands up. I, I don't have any ones you've got in there. Final list. I did tell us, but I forgot. Did you have a, a list that you had to wind down from, say, 100? Or did, how did it, the process No, I didn't start with a list um, at all. I just kind of, I'm not, I'm not very <laughs> strategic with work in the sense, with any of my uh, creativity. I kind of get a smell for something and then just follow it. So I was just finding somebody and writing poems and then gradually looking to see what this looked like. Do you know what I mean? And I, I certainly did have um, a file with a list of some women um, that never made it. And um, so I, and I would keep adding to that list. Um, but I didn't draw up a hundred and then decide I'll do fifty of them. If you know what I mean, I was I was more, um, you know, I would hear about. I mean, for example, there was, I was trying to find somebody who would um, represent the um, the disability um, uh, the, the, that section of the the community, because I I have a daughter with Down syndrome and um, so I'm very involved in the world of disability and. Um, with some difficulty, I discovered the amazing Margaret Blackwood. I don't know if you've heard of her. A fantastic woman. I mean, she's um, really responsible for um, the fact that we have um, disability um, uh, living allowance and, um, you know, quite an extraordinary woman. And her story was so extraordinary, I felt I could write a poem about her. But she came in quite late on, actually. And... Um, and I would be asking around, so uh, there was never a kind of def defined list, you know. Um, there was, I wanted to write about, um, have somebody who represented uh, the Asian community, for example, and I was having great difficulty because I wanted everybody to be deceased in the book. I didn't want to do any people who are living because I think that gets very complex. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, Bashabi Fraser, the poet, wonderful poet, um, she said, I'll, I'll, I'll think of somebody, I'll, I'll come up with something. And I kept emailing her every few months, Bashabi, have you got anybody? And I tried the Indian, Indian consulate, I tried, you know, all kinds of um, uh, Charles Bruce, various people who, who were specialists in the field. And, and then gradually, um, anyway, at the last minute, Bashabi gave me an absolutely brilliant woman, extraordinary, uh, Mina, or Mina, Mina Ray, um, who was a very quiet worker with, um, on empowerment of women within the Asian community, um, one of the first uh, uh, trans, um, interpreter trainers, fascinating woman. So I wanted to look at the whole of society, if you know what I mean, what's happening um, now and, and in the past. So it, it, was a, it was a kind of jigsaw of pieces that would fall in every now and again. Sorry, we, we need the microphone back. You see, it sounded as though it got bigger. Oh. Yeah, it did. It just kind of kept getting bigger. And then I had to stop. <laughs> <laughs> you could have gone on and on. I could have gone on and yeah. on, yes. Yeah. Yes, please. Did you only include women where you had a name and a story behind them? Because there must be whole categories of women who are unnamed and they're still there. Well, the first woman in the book, the Shetland Museum, she's unnamed. Um, so there, there is an unnamed woman. And then the last poem is, is kind of about the great tapestry of Scotland, which I don't know if you've seen it, but I've seen it, and it is just breathtaking and I think there are one or two men who may have done some stitching but the vast majority are women and it's over a thousand women and um, some of them are named in the great tapestry and some of them are not um, so um, I have included um, uh, them in a sense that the last poem is is for one of the stitchers and all of the stitch one named stitcher and and all the unnamed so a very interesting question, yeah, yes. Because of course there are so many, yes, as you say, unnamed women, but I've tried to put them into, or find a place for them. Any other questions? I'm happy to read another poem. <laughs> well, uh, Gerda, one of the interesting things about, um, when you said about Anna Buch when we had Anna Buchan's obituary, it shows how times have changed. Um, <laughs> uh, I didn't mention in the intro that you have actually written another book um, about Christian Small. Would you like to talk about Oh, her? I would. I'd love to and, talk and about that. And show the audience a copy of it, please. It's on it's sale. Only 12 there are pounds. Some, only £12. This, <laughs> is, this is very uh, exciting for me. It's a, a voluntary project. Um, a most beautiful book. Um, we applied to the Alice Hamilton Trust in the village of West Linton, where this artist worked for over 60 years. Um, of her life, um, virtually unknown. Um, when she died, we discovered um, that uh, a lot of people had her paintings. She's another Dundonian, by the way. Um, and um, at her memorial service, people um, were asked to bring one or two um, of her pictures. And lots of people came with the paintings, many of them framed, and they were kind of around the, the room. 
And then we organised an exhibition and then it was felt that perhaps a book should, um, should be made. And more and more paintings came out of the woodwork. Um, there were lots of them unframed that she'd um, put in her ch uh, children's cot at the back of her house. Um, she just stored them there. She never sold them for, you know, people pressed on her, uh, you know, a, a fiver, including myself when I was a teenager. Um, I knew Christian. Her daughter um, is one of my very close friends. And um, so I knew Christian all my life. Um, and uh, literally from when I was born, our mothers were friendly. And um, it is astonishing how many paintings have come to light and how many people have them. Um, over a, possibly over 150. And there's an exhibition on at the moment in the Chambers Institute in Peebles um, of her work. And um, it's beautiful. It goes on till the end of uh, this month, well, 2nd of September. And so we, we, um, we decided we would make this book and the, the proceeds of it are going to Westlington Primary School for a, um, a, an art project. We're going to employ an artist and uh, to work with the children. Christian, um, she studied chemistry at St Andrews and when she, um, she left St Andrews, she applied for a job and um, the company invited her for an interview. This is 1947, after the marriage bar had been lifted. The marriage bar um, prevented women, um, professional women, from continuing in their work uh, when they married. And I have uh, the two particular women in this book who suffered greatly from the marriage bar, Dorothy Johnson, a wonderful artist, whose career lost momentum when she had to leave her post at Edinburgh College of Art. Um, the psychiatrist, Isabel Emsley Hutton, who wrote a wonderful biography, um, Memoirs of a Doctor in War and Peace, uh, the psychiatrist um, who went out with Elsie Ingalls to the uh, Scottish Women's Hosp um, Hospital, worked in Serbia. Um, the marriage bar prevented these women, made it very difficult for them, to, for them to work. Even though it was lifted in 1945, that whole ethos still prevailed. And when Christian Small went for her interview and they discovered that it was a woman who'd applied for the job, Christian being a name that, of either gender, they um, turned her down and wrote her a letter of rejection with the um, <laughs> unforgettable words, we regret your sex. <laughs> and Christian never applied for another job. Um, she got married and she, this, she, wasn't, she, she wasn't even married, so it wasn't even as though the marriage bar was prevailing, you know. Um, and uh, she had five children. Uh, one of uh, the eldest one died tragically in a gas explosion here in Edinburgh in Guthrie Street. She had a great deal of anxiety in her life. Her father um, was in the First uh, World War, um, incredibly brave um, man. Uh, beyond the call of duty, and um, he suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder, was suicidal. Christian had an enormous amount of uh, anxiety in her life, but her book um, it shows that her paintings, some of which are very big, um, she, she just poured herself into um, this, this, this creativity, and in spite of her great anxiety, she had such a sure, strong mm. line, you know, and um, I've written 13 poems that uh, weave in and out of the pictures. And Jenny, her daughter, has written some beautiful prose. Um, they're in the voice of her mother, imagining her mother's thoughts uh, with these paintings. And so, so this book is a kind of um, green shoot of 
the Quine's book in a way. Um, they're, they're just absolutely stunning. Uh, some of them very unusual, like the pears on the windowsill in the snow. Should I read one? Yes, please. Is there time? Um, conference of pears. <laughs> they gather in the window frame. Five ladies conferring on the ripeness of their fecund bellies. Snow throws light on the slight incline of their necks as one leans into another with the murmur of female sharing. Stalks like tongues comparing notes whose skin is tight as a drum, whose is softening, who will be the first to deliver sweet flesh in such unseasonal weather. <laughs> Gorgeous. <laughs> I, I need one final poem from you, Gerda, but first of all, um, I want to tell everyone that Gerda will deliver the Thomas Muir Memorial Lecture at St Mary's Cathedral in Palmerston Place, in Edinburgh, of course, um, on Friday, August the 24th. Tickets cost only £5.15 pence. So I hope you will all go. There'll be live music too. And it's a very prestigious event and a wonderful thing for Gerda to be doing. And um, she's got other events too, um, but I could sit here all night talking about them. Um, but meanwhile, I think we should sign off with one more poem. Please, okay, Gerda. should we do Moira Shearer? Yes, please. <coughs> Moira Shearer, who um, is known, of course, for the red shoes, is a great ballet dancer, but... I found online this beautiful little clip of, um, from a film called, um, uh, I think it's The Man Who Loved Redheads. And of course she was a redhead. And she's doing the Charleston in blue shoes. And it's absolutely exquisite, her dancing. So I thought of the old bardic tradition of flighting where you kind of throw kind of um, affectionate insults at one another. And I thought this could be a flighting. So um, I've, um, I've called it the flighting of the red shoes and the blue shoes. Redder than madder or that sweet apple the sleek adder made Eve pluck. We allure, we beguile, stitched in style by a cobbler with a gargoyle smile, a fiend who's out to kill, and for him we will. We lead her, bleed her, dance her down to death. Sky blue, high blue, forget-me-not heels, we know the steps to take, alive to your wiles. We challenge you with a Charleston beat, Sweet clarinet and a balla like a thrum. She won't succumb. We tease, cajole, but the lady's in control. She's ours, we have her, all wide-eyed. Like a child craving a fairground ride. She slips into us in a blink, heavenly fit. She's on the brink of bliss, light as a moth. She spins and flits. We lead her, bleed her, dance her down to death. But see how we release her artful wit. That saucy kick, 
the deft wrist flick, the divine disdain in her shoulder shrug, the tilt of her chin, the tug, never smug, of her cool restraint. We tease, cajole, but the lady's in control. We'll turn the heat on your slick blue beat, scorch her feet with searing violins, flesh, bone and marrow, toe to flaming skull. We're the pair to triumph with lethal flare, breath of hell. Each step of the stair, we lead her down and bleed her all the way to death. Clamour your colour as loud as you will. We infuse her with life. You cannot kill the smoulder, the thrill, the cool blue burn in the pinpoint angle of her ankle turn. Only once in a rare indigo moon will you see such grace. Her body flows. It simply knows how to pace the space between syncopated notes, heel, toe, toe, heel. We tease, we cajole, she's in control. And the band, the whole house, they're down on their knees begging the lady, encore, reprise. Thank you, Gerda, and thank you for coming. Thank you, um, thank you very much. And Gerda will be signing copies of her books in the, the bookshop, which is to the right when you leave here, please. So um, thank you, and um, lots of happy reading, especially of Quines. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you. More podcasts and videos of Edinburgh International Book Festival events are available at www.edbookfest.co.uk on iTunes and YouTube. Just search for Edbookfest.